Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back. Today my guest is Samantha Kelgren and we're talking all about hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is basically missing periods and being a little bit too healthy. So Samantha's going to share her story and her journey, but Samantha, for those who don't know, is is certified through ACE Fitness and the Integrative Women's Health Institute as a preconception through postnatal health coach. So she supports women like before they have a baby and all the way through, which I absolutely love. She currently lives in Asheville with her husband, toddler and dog. After being diagnosed with hypothalamic amenorrhea or HA and finding out it's possible to be too fit to get pregnant, she underwent IVF to have her son. She then made drastic changes to to her unhealthy relationship with exercise and healthy eating. She now helps women through major mindset shifts and takes it takes them from over-exercising and under-eating so that they can regain their cycles and get pregnant without going crazy. So welcome to the podcast, Samantha. Hey, thanks for having me. You're welcome. So before we get into all of the questions that I personally have for you, um, could you just go into your journey a little bit more? So I just give the um, very brief version, but I want to know a bit more in depth. And I feel like a lot of women can relate to your story. So in as much detail as you want, tell us about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like I said, I'm a certified. So I was a a personal trainer and actually also did some run coaching. So I was coaching marathon runners. I was a marathon runner myself and ran my seventh marathon um, before I went off the pill to get pregnant. You know, I was under that impression that I go off the pill couple months, I'll be pregnant. (laughs) Not the case for me. Um, I went off the pill and did not get a period. And, you know, the first month I wasn't surprised. I know that can happen. You know, your hormones are kind of kicking back into gear. Um, After three months with nothing, I went to my OB and said, you know, I visited her before I went off the pill. And, you know, it's like, I'm back. (laughs) Nothing happened. I went off the pill. I've gotten no period. So we did the Provera challenge, which you may have talked about that before progesterone essentially. Um, And once I stopped taking that, I was supposed to induce a bleed. Nothing happened again. So we tried it again. We did five days of progesterone, nothing. Did seven days of progesterone, again, nothing. So at this point she says, you know, it could be, you know, since you run a lot, it could be, you might not need to cut back on your running. Um, But didn't go into much detail on, on why on how that is all connected and when you say cut back like as a marathon runner (laughs) what does cut back mean you know is that 
only four days a week? Is that stopping at 10 miles? I mean, there's a lot of variety there. She didn't really know my, my schedule. But anyhow, she sent me to um, a fertility specialist and he found I had no uterine lining. So there's nothing to bleed out. There was no estrogen because I was at such low body fat. Um, so luckily everything else looked good. My tubes were open. Um, thyroid looked okay. You know, there was nothing, no real red flags, except that <laughs> I was not getting a period because I had no lining. Um, the pill had masked all that. So I'm not sure when I lost it, right? It could have been the first marathon. I just, there's no way of knowing, um, because I was on the pill. So, you know, he said, you know, again, estrogen is in body fat. I didn't know any of this. That's the crazy part. Why aren't we told? Yes, exactly. And especially as you enter marathon running, why isn't it part of my coaching training? Why isn't that a big section of, Hey, <laughs> this is a red flag. This is something to look for. So, um, which is why I, I come on to podcast, which is why you talk about this. Um, so he said, you know, you probably need to gain some body fat and, and again, cut back on your running. Still, though, he still listed me as unexplained infertility. So there was still no diagnosis. There was still no mention of what hypothalamic amenorrhea is. Still, you know, I didn't really have a direction on which to go. Okay, I need to gain weight. I don't know how it's all related. I don't know how much I need to gain. I don't know how, you know, what the hypothalamus is. So we did um, four rounds. We had four attempted rounds, five attempted rounds in IUI. And we got to do one, which failed. Every time we would do another medicated cycle, I just would not respond fully. Now I cut somewhat back on my running. I took out the intervals. So I was still running, but I wasn't doing like interval training like I was. You know, I wasn't training on hills. Um, so in my eyes, I had cut back because they said cut back with no clear direction. <laughs> I'd gained some weight, but not too much. I was, um, you know, instead of eating non-fat yogurt, I was eating low fat. That was a step up for me, but I was still like not eating the whole fat, still kind of, you know, counting calories, even though I was eating more, I was still very cognizant of how much I was eating, right? Especially now that I've cut back on my running. So I still had that fear of weight, too much weight gain. Um, by the time we got to almost a year, really a year after going off the pill, we were looking at IVF because I was not responding to these medications. I still did not have a word for hypothalamic amenorrhea. <laughs> so I talked to another doctor after our first cycle, um, our first transfer failed. It was a chemical pregnancy. So it took, but two days later, we did another blood test and I was no longer pregnant. So that was a big shift. It was like, I need to, to really figure out what's going on because why is none of this working when every other level looks fine? I feel healthy. There's no signs of overtraining, um, anything else except that I'm not responding. Right. So I talked to another doctor that I met in an event and she said, Oh, you sound kind of hypo. And I'm like, what is that? I mean, it's the first time I'd heard this mentioned. So she said, Oh, um, hypothalamic amenorrhea. So I go home. I mean, this is an event, so I'm not going to talk to this woman for an hour about this, right? So I go home and research a ton. I have another meeting with her afterwards. And it's like every single thing that is mentioned is like, that is me, that is me, that is me, that is me, the overexercising, the restricting calories, um, just the, the running in general, the low body fat, all of these things is what I was experiencing. 
And it was like, just something clicked. It was like, that is why this is so important. That is what the level I need to be. I need to stop running. And it was really hard. <laughs> I had already cut back and felt like I made this big sacrifice. But when I looked at it, it's like, hey, if I'm not responding to this, if I want this next cycle, we had one more embryo left. If I want this next transfer to work, I need to completely cut out running. Like that is, that is what it is. So it's really this mental shift too that came with, you know, why, why am I still doing this? Why am I still going out on runs when it's clearly not what I need right now? Why am I still buying low fat? Why am I afraid of fat? Um, so yeah, I started eating like the whole fat yogurt. I stopped really, um, trying to be strict in the calories. I loosened up on, I'm just going to eat when I'm hungry. The next transfer worked. Our son is now almost two and a half. And, you know, I didn't get my period back during IVF, but I got back postpartum. Um, I got it back three months after completely, um, weaning from nursing and I've had it regular ever since. And I've drastically changed my relationship with running. I mean, I, I will still go for a run, but it is for totally different reasons. And I don't think that that would have happened had I not had this experience. Had I just cut back, had I still had that fear of what happens if I totally stop, um, I was able to experience that and see it's not the end of the world <laughs> and see that I still enjoy running, you know, and see why I actually enjoy running outside of calorie burn, right? I found other ways to relieve stress. I think that that's the number one thing women fear is, you know, cardio running is my stress relief. What will I do without it? And there's a ton of other things to do, but you have to, you have to, um, be, tr have enough trust in your body to find them, right. To know that you can stop running, that you can stop doing these routine things that you think that you rely on and find other avenues for stress relief. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to, there's so many avenues I want to go down, but <laughs> let's stop. This is like a deep question and I know it's hard to answer. Do you feel like if you would have started off with increasing calories, um, like as soon as you came off the pill, um, increasing calories, like you would have known about HA, do you think it would have been possible to have your son naturally? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think that it, you know, it clearly helped me actually have a successful pregnancy. However, had I known about this, which is why I'm like trying to intervene with women, is um, had I known about this and had a different time frame, yes, I, I do fully. But we're trying to conceive right now, mm -hmm. and I really do believe that I, you know, it would have, you know, who knows? There could have been another issue. You just never know. Mm -hmm. But in terms of what I was doing to my body through the calorie counting and the exercise. Oh, 100%. That would have healed, you know, that, and that's the great thing about HA is that it is in your control. If you can, if you can be willing to open up and, and trust your body to do what it needs to do, then you can heal from it without, you know, doctors are so quick to put you on a pill. Oh, you're missing a period. Take the pill. Right. And you don't need that. It's going to take a bit longer, but you can totally do it naturally. And it's not like a, a block tube or severe scarring from endometriosis where a healthy diet or diet changes is going to like do much. So it is under your control, but it can be very difficult to overcome that mindset piece. The mindset. Yes, it is, it's truly a, a mental, mental struggle because on the outside, people that don't have this, um, you know, obsession and interest in healthy eating that don't take it to that extreme level that don't 
you know, only count their workouts if they're super sweaty and they last an hour. You tell someone that you need to gain weight and stop exercising and they're like, oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a free pass. Enjoy, have fun. Where you were like, no, this is what I love. I don't really know what to do with my time or who I am without this. It's purely a mental, mental um, journey. Yeah. And it does become your identity. Like you're the fit friend. You're the one who's always running on the weekends and always eats the salads. So that in itself can be very hard to stray away from. It is a whole, um, is a whole area that I work through with clients Mm -hmm. of that. Who are you outside of this? Because many of them have been doing it for, I mean, I ran, God, I was really into running. I started my first like half marathon 10 years before going through IVF. So I had been endurance running for a decade. That was very much, you know, and it was my job, right? And I'm instructing runners. So it was very much a part of who I saw myself as, who I was known as, you know, I run, I'm a runner. Um, Where now I honestly see it as you are a runner if you choose to go out for a run. It does not matter how fast you go or how often you go. If you enjoy going for a run, then you are a runner. Um, But I just didn't see it that way, right? I was a runner because I regularly participate in races. I could easily run 10 miles. That is, that is the running that I, that I identified with. And did you enjoy it like that whole time? Or were you, did you get to the point where you were like exhausted and you were like just forcing yourself and trying to keep up with that image? I, for the most part, I did enjoy it, but I will say, and this is definitely a red flag of if I wasn't in the either mood or too tired or the weather's not right to run, I would still run. Whereas now I run if everything says, yes, I want to run. The weather's good. My energy's good. I feel like going for a run. Um, I would, I would force it. Um, and it wasn't always forcing it. I think that's where it gets so tricky of like, yes, I do enjoy running. Um, but are you able to take a break from it? And I would, more concerned with I need to hit this certain number of miles running is I I run five miles on Wednesday mornings it's Wednesday morning I'm gonna run Mm -hmm. instead of hey I slept like crap last night maybe I can switch it around or maybe I can just like go on a walk for 45 minutes it was not a question of that it was this is what I do so I'm going for my run and how did you feel like in your in yourself like in your body during that time um both like when you were on the pill because we know that that can sometimes cause symptoms like moods can be an issue anxiety and then maybe when you came off the pill did any symptoms become more noticeable so like you know, really lack of lack of energy hair loss um I didn't really have any major signs and that's why it was, I was so confused as to how is this really going to help you know I wasn't crashing on my runs I was hitting my time goals I was not feeling totally drained and beaten down afterwards so in my eyes it was like oh I'm training at an appropriate level um but I definitely have an energy deficit obviously I wasn't fueling enough for those runs um I think that that the main sign was more the anxiety or guilt I would feel if I did not complete the run right that was more of the mood shift that I don't get now (laughs) it was more of if I don't get this run in my mood is completely negative and affected the rest of the day and I have to make up for it what about with your diet as well were you intentionally under eating during your your marathon training so that you would lose weight or was it just that Um, you were maybe eating thousands of calories but your 
exercise or your output was just way, way more? You know, I think it's kind of both. I was not intentionally trying to lose, but I was afraid to gain. I wanted to stay where I was, if that makes sense. And I was underweight. So I would, you know, I was comfortable with a certain amount of calories. You know, you read like, oh, 1800 calories is plenty for a woman. Well, it's not, you need more. And I was running on top of that. Like 1800 calories is if you're not doing anything and you can still eat more than that. Yeah, <laughs> and, your basic organs. Yes, yes, yes. And so I think that the, the calorie count that I had in my mind was very skewed um, that I did not learn until I went to recover. And it was like, oh my God, like, I don't count calories anymore. So obviously I don't, I don't know <laughs> how many I'm eating now, um, but I'm not going hungry where I would be so hungry some days and it's like oh i'll eat a little bit more instead of i need to replenish the thousands i've earned running 15 miles um not just a little more i need to eat so much more than i think that i need i need to be having at least 2500 like every day and that that amount was like astronomical to me at the time it just didn't seem possible that you could eat that much not run as much and and have a stable weight do you think it would be possible to like continue with the marathon running and on top of that just eating a ton of calories um so eating like what six thousand calories a day but continue doing the running be able to get your period back or is that no, just I, I it may be possible but it might be too difficult i think and, and it's so individual um but obviously there are marathon runners that do not lose a period Right. And that's the frustrating thing. If, oh, she's, she's fine. Well, you know, it's very individual. So you have to see what's good for you. But I do think that it is more of a energy deficit. So if you're very cognizant of one, how much you're eating, um, but are you sleeping enough? Are there other stressors? So you want, if you're a marathon training, that needs to be the main or only stress in your life. If you've got 10 other things going on, I mean, you know, work stress, relationship stress, all these other stressors, then that's going to be too much. But if you can isolate that stress to the physical stress of marathon running, be very cognizant of getting those, like, I mean, thousands, probably more calories than you think that you need to make sure you are fueling properly for it and resting enough, then yeah, I think you can do it. Um, it's just paying attention to those other signs, right? If you're on the pill, you're not going to know. But if you are able to watch your cycle and monitor that and make sure it's not, you know, suddenly getting super short or suddenly getting super long, um, then yeah, I think that you can maintain it. It's just having that awareness of, is this my only stress or am I also stressing my body by not, you know, staying up late and getting up early to get this run in? Am I fueling immediately after the run? And am I eating on those long runs? Am I eating right before to make sure you're really taking care of your body and, and supporting it? So many of my clients are on more of the extreme end in terms of like eating a little bit too healthy and exercising mm -hmm. way more than the average person, but they, they compare themselves to other people or what they did when they were 20. Now they're like a mother of two. It's completely different. You can't expect your body to um, be able to do those same things. I think mm -hmm. it would be useful to give a breakdown and simplify hypothalamic amenorrhea before we, we go any further in the conversation. So I mentioned that it's loss of a period basically due to stresses. 
stressors being under fueling mental emotional stress physical stress so could you give your overview of what this condition is and that whole energy in versus energy out balance right right so what is affected it's the hypothalamus so it's a small area of your brain um, that it is sensing the stress level it is also sensing leptin levels so it is sensing the fat in your that you are consuming so when you're not consuming enough fat when you're under fueling when you are over exercising all of these stresses it is sensing that you are not in the state it needs to conserve energy so it's going to shut down um, well it shuts down growth hormone but also suppresses um, your reproductive system so that's when you get either maybe anovulation so maybe you're getting a light period but you're not ovulating or amenorrhea you are totally missing your period um, and and like you said, it's mental stress too, right? It's not just not eating enough and it's not just exercising too much. And remembering that that is um, individual, like you said, comparing yourself, comparing yourself to why well, did this 20 years ago and my period was fine. Well, like you said, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> comparing yourself to an Olympic athlete. Well, do you know how much they're eating? <laughs> um, they've got a team of people working with them to monitor that stress. It's like their full-time so, job. They don't exactly. have another job on top of you're that. You're not an athlete. <laughs> you're not a paid athlete. So when you're doing all that on top of maybe you're already a mom, if you're doing that on top of running your own business, if you're doing it on top of maybe you're moving or you just got married or you just got divorced. I mean, there's so many stressors that, yeah, maybe that exercise load was fine without all these other things present. But with all these other stressors, your hypothalamus is going to sense that and is going to start suppressing. And I've got a whole episode on hypothalamic amenorrhea with Nicola Rinaldi, who is the author of a book, No Period, Now What? So I recommend checking that one out for more information. But I want to ask more about the body fat percentage, whether there's like a, a tipping point or like an ideal fertility um, percentage body fat wise. And also, do you ever see women of normal body fat levels and weight or even being overweight who have this condition as well yeah so we'll start with the the range right um because we see like the healthy you know bmi range like 18.5 to just under 25 fertility you're looking at more like a 20 to 24 bmi body fat at least 22 percent so you know and i i posted this the other day like you're you're fit body is not your most fertile body, right? It's a different type of body that you need to create life and to sustain a healthy pregnancy. And it's often more fat than, than we want. And that is diet culture. That is the thin ideal speaking. Um, it is just not a, a thin, lean body is not what you need to make a baby. You need more fat on you. And that's you know, a lot of times not what people want to hear. <laughs> um, but, you know, I like to look at it as this is a phase of your life. Like this is your training to get your body to this way to make a baby. It's different from training your body to run a marathon, right? It's totally different looks. Um, I do see women at a normal BMI that have HA, right? It is the, you know, if they're not sleeping enough, all these stressors that they can't really you know, mental stress that's not as tangible as I work out X amount and I eat X amount of calories, all these non-tangible stressors um, can really play a huge role. And so if you are not, you know, if you're exercising too much for your body, maybe you're not underweight, 
But if it is too much stress for your specific hypothalamus, it's going to shut it down. You know, that's not the only indicator. I think that I'm glad you brought that up because that is this caveat that some women see of, oh, well, it's, yes, it's primarily women underweight, but it's not, that is not the hallmark. That is not, oh, well, you're not underweight. You can't have it. That is just typically a symptom that we see, but you can definitely have it. If you've got too much stress, it doesn't really matter if your body is, is in that perfect BMI. And the thing is, you may be able to stay around that BMI. You might not have to gain a lot of weight. You're just looking at what other stressors can you remove. It's like a puzzle. <laughs> what about people who are like naturally slim and only have a body fat percentage yeah. of like 19%? Do they always need to increase or is their body just used to that? You know, I don't think so. And that is what's so infuriating for women you're trying to gain is of, oh, well, you know, she you know, whoever she is, she is thin and she got pregnant on the, on the first try. Um, that's where her body is. So the thing is, when you are finding that you have to restrict calories and keep up this high level of exercise to keep your body a certain weight, then that is not where your body wants to be at. You should be at this kind of, you know, set weight when you are moderately exercising most days of the week, like under an hour, and you are fueling well over 2000 calories. So if you can do that, see where your body lands and that's where you need to be and it's going to be different like if you are in your 30s it's going to be different than when you're 21 right it's your body is changing it would be very weird if we stayed the same body size and body shape as in our early 20s wouldn't it but people feel like that that is the ideal that is when i look my best and that is what i'm trying to look for i'm 35 it would be very weird if i had the same body as when i was 20 right yeah (laughs) yeah And what about the tipping point when it comes to weight and fertility? So we've just been talking about how being too lean or having a low body fat percentage can be detrimental to fertility. What about the other, um, the other end of the the spectrum as well, being um, overweight or having excessive body fat levels? Well, so, you know, still the recommended for fertility is a BMI of um, under 25. However, if I was going to err on one side, from what I see and what I read and what I learn and what I know, I would err on being slightly overweight versus underweight. So in general, um, but you're right. You don't want to go the complete other end, right? And we're not recommending for these women to gain weight to be, you know, suddenly put on 50 pounds and not give a crap about what they eat. It's just being more lenient right? It's just being not so strict. So in terms of losing weight, I do want to say that if you, you know, maybe your doctor has recommended to lose weight, maybe you're ready, you know, physically and emotionally to lose some weight. From what I see, you can lose 10 to 15% of your, your body weight, um, and it will negatively affect your cycle. So you just want to be careful that's not this drastic loss, because when you are drastically cutting or drastically changing up your exercise routine from absolutely nothing to an hour a day, it can be too much of stress. And that will trigger that stress response of let's shut things down. She's losing too much. Um, so I would just recommend everything being gradual. I've also seen the weight that someone was when they um, started the period or like their body fat percentage at that point that's kind of like the set point and if they stray to um they don't eat enough or they restrict and lose a lot of weight that can influence it as well do you see that obviously you're going to be lighter than what you are um, in your teens 
Yes. Yes. So often I feel like what we see is women, um, especially let's say they have HA and they're trying to regain. They're like, Oh, but I'm at the weight as I was when I, when I had a healthy period, you might need to go a little past that. And you might go a little past that and stay there, or you might go a little past that, get your body comfortable. And then you can back off a couple pounds as to what is comfortable. You're really trying to get your body to trust you because the second it doesn't trust you, it's going to shut it down. So if you show that you are feeding it when it's hungry, if you show that you are, you are resting when it's tired and giving yourself that time to replenish, it's going to trust you and you can lose a little bit without it freaking out. Right. But if you only gain the bare minimum and the second you go over that, you start cutting back again, it's not going to, it's not going to trust you and it's going to shut it down. And I was going to ask as well, how to find the balance between eating for fertility so getting enough nutrients in there versus just trying to get in the calories whatever the food is because I, when i had nicola on she mm-hmm. is just like eat kind of whatever mm-hmm. and just get enough calories and we kind of differed on that opinion i yeah. been focused on like hormonal health and egg quality and adrenals and all of that i'm more focused on the healthy food sources with pizza and pasta if you want it but not on a consistent basis so where do you stand with that um that's in terms of one. yeah that's a tricky one i feel like i'm more with you i feel like it's more in my opinion it's more the mindset like you said having pizza if you want it so mine is more the mindset of i want to tell women that if they are needing to gain weight and stop restrictive eating that it is good to say yes have have a fast food burger have a pizza more to get into their heads that that is okay and that's not detrimental. So I would not say eat, you know, whatever you want at all times, force that food because that causes another stress. But it's like another form of disordered eating. It is, it is. I think it can be. Um, It's more becoming comfortable with the fact that I can have something that I used to label bad for me and it's okay. So whatever that takes to get your mind around, hey, let's see what happens if I eat this pizza and I don't restrict the next day of let me experiment with these different foods and be okay with it. I think that women go on this kind of like, think of it as like a speedometer of, you know, I I never eat ice cream. I never have carbs to, oh my God, I can have them all the time to, hey, I have them sometimes. Um, Being able to overindulge and figure out how to get back to that healthy balance is more key for mindset. Um, but I agree. You don't want to fuel up. You know, I, I was, when I was trying to gain weight, I was like, well, I don't want to gain it all on donuts and ice cream. Right. And I didn't, but you don't want to keep restricting. You don't want to use that as that fallacy of being too healthy of, well, I'm trying to be healthy, but you're still terrified of having real ice cream. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to have it and know that it's not detrimental to your health. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it could be, I know. Yeah, that's the tricky thing. And I like your approach to it. And some practitioners and Nicola as well said that 2,500 calories is like the goal for everyone. That's the minimum that you need to be eating. Do you find that to be a little bit different as well? And how, mm-hmm. how quickly do you go from 1500 to 2500 is that going to be like a really gradual process are you trying to get that weight on as quickly as possible i feel like i feel more gradual and i feel like if i had a client that is ready to like yes i'm going to eat 2500 a day and they are not stressed about that they're okay with that then do it but if i've also had clients that are like 
that number is absolutely petrifying to me. I need to walk it up. Then we walk it up. Then you get comfortable too. And who knows, you might be eating 2000 calories and you start your period. If you want to walk it up, I am all for walking it up. I'm all for making it comfortable to get to the level you need to be at. I just don't want there to be that fear. I want it to be a, hey, I want to get comfortable with this and then I'll look at doing more instead of I'm only going to 2000, I'm not going to go above it, right? Of having that hard limit. It's like, I want women to be able to wrap their minds around, hey, I may, may need more. Let's experiment and see what it is. Because the number one, the, the hardest thing about this, and it's so interesting because I feel like it's the same with HA recovery and with going through fertility treatments, is that unknown. If someone could tell you it's going to take, you're going to need to gain 15 pounds or it's going to take eight months. It's like, all right, okay, I can do it. It's going to take that long. I can do it. But when you're looking down this endless path of, I don't know how much I'm going to gain. I don't know how long this is going to take. That is when it gets totally overwhelming and people, people tighten up or want to give up. So I always recommend setting super small goals, set a goal of five pounds. If you don't want to weigh yourself, say, I'm going to make these changes for four weeks and I'm going to reassess. So you've really like encapsulated the small amount of time or small amount of weight to focus on. You get comfortable and then you go from there instead of this could be the rest of my life because <laughs> that's what it feels like <laughs> it, when it, when it's this total change, that is what it feels like. So really to focus on that next like small goal. And I've personally never had the problem of being able to eat enough and get enough calories on a healthy diet. Some people do struggle with that though. They, they're like, how do I get 2,500, 3,000 calories of healthy foods? But let's say someone has a health issue. I'm just thinking of the people who have autoimmune or multiple food sensitivities and they can't eat the breads and the cheese and the pasta and all of that stuff. Um, do you think it is possible to eat that amount of calories on a healthy diet and if so could you give some like foods that could be really good to add in like nutrient dense but high calorie foods yeah nutrient dense is key and and sometimes we do see some you know obviously if it's like a total food allergy it won't go away but some food intolerances or gut issues can be healed because it just turns out they weren't eating enough right it turns out they cut out carbs for no reason and they're really not sensitive. So that is interesting to experiment. Make sure you're actually sensitive to them. Um, but obviously, you don't want to put that stress on your body if you truly are. I always recommend, I mean, nut and nut butters is the easiest thing. You can add peanut butter to a smoothie and up the calories by 200 without feeling stuffed. I think fiber, watching your fiber intake and watching um, how you space your calories is key. So you're not bulking fiber. So suddenly you feel totally full and bloated. You don't want to eat and then you're at a calorie deficit or you're kind of watching it throughout the day. And then suddenly at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I'm at 1700. I really need to eat more. Then you get stuffed and are uncomfortable. No, so so having huge calories, bowls of salads right. and vegetables. Yes. 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 So, you know, you want to eat it. I mean, it's like the opposite of dieting, really. Just think of anything that's the opposite of dying, that dieting, that's what you should do. Um, just instead of looking at ways to cut calories, right? So adding, like I got a huge thing of sunflower seeds. If ever I make a salad, I'm putting sunflower seeds. I'm making my own salad dressing with olive oil. So I'm not getting low fat dressing. Those are easy ways that you don't feel stuffed by putting sunflower seeds in olive oil 
on your salad dressing, but you're adding 200 calories. So any way that you can kind of sneak them in um, into smoothies, flaxseed is great. I've been making my own granola, so I'll add flaxseed to that. Um, any soup, avocado, like all the healthy fats, they're like the most the calorically fats. dense. Um, if you do fine with eggs, eggs is a great is a great way to get in more calories and just more nutrients. Um, cooking with more butter or more olive oil, more ghee, just adding a little extra into any recipe. Um, if you're having toast and cream cheese, put some butter on it first. So you've got butter and cream cheese. Just those small ways that you're adding stuff in that is healthy fats, healthy calories, um, but you're getting a lot. I mean, peanut butter is the easiest. Peanut butter, you just have a spoonful. <laughs> peanut butter and like you said, avocado, because um, avocado you can add to smoothie. You can add to pretty much any meal. <laughs> it's going to make it better. Um, and it's just a, um, an easy way, way to get more, more calories. And how long do you recommend tracking for? Are there any apps that you recommend using and how long to do it for? Because then it can become a bit of a stress and become obsessive with tracking. So where's that fine line? I think it's, and this is going to be depend on the person because some people really don't want to see that number. So if you don't want to see that number, just start by adding more butter, just start by adding more avocado, more nuts. So you're not really counting, but you know, you're getting more. I mean, I would, you might just do it for a couple days just to see what that volume of food looks like and adjust because you're going to know where you were and you're going to look at what is adding 600 more calories look like. Like you take pictures of your food. That's another good way to do it, of, to take pictures of your meals. So it's kind of an easier way to track, but you can look at the volume and you can see what fats that you're adding. It's more of a visual. Um, a lot of people find that a little easier, but I feel like you just need to do it for a couple days. I mean, maybe a week to see fluctuations, um, but no longer than that. Cause you're going to see different meals. You're going to find different meals to incorporate I mean, I feel like most of us get in some routine of eating a couple of the same things for breakfast, a couple of the same things for lunch. So once you kind of nail those down, you don't really need to count anymore. And with exercise, how do we know if we're doing too much versus not enough? So some people as well say, you just need to eat thousands of calories and not do any exercise, sit on the couch and watch TV. Um, obviously that's going to come with negative health risks as well. So, um, would you recommend that temporarily? Would you say, again, just dial back, um, are there better forms of exercise is running the worst? Like I have many questions. So you just right. go off on it, um, whatever you want to talk about with exercise. Yeah, no, I feel like, I feel like running and unfortunately, cause I love running, um, Running is by and large, I feel like what we see repeatedly of this will mess with your cycle. So if you're running cut out the running. And that may be it. Honestly, you don't know. That might be it, but it's that higher intensity. So walking, I mean, I still recommend going on walks throughout this whole process, no matter where you are walking. Yoga is great. Yoga or Pilates. Um, so that's, you're getting that movement. You're getting that strength. I still did strength training. Um, I wasn't lifting as heavy. You know, I wasn't going for like records, but I still use dumbbells. I did a lot of body weight, um, maybe just two days a week. You want to, I feel like the time is a big thing. So keeping them well under an hour. I mean, 30 minutes is plenty. If you go for a 45 minute walk, you know, as long as you're not like power walking up a hill that entire time. But if you can go out for 30 to 45 minutes, um, that's perfectly fine. You don't need, you, you don't need more than that. Um, so getting comfortable with that. I feel like walking every day is fine. Doing yoga 
um, I think a big shift of the mindset is feeling like you need, you have to do it. So thinking I, I can do these things, but if I don't feel up to it, if my schedule doesn't allow, I'm not trying to cram it in. I think that is that little, little groove that people get into of this was my workout routine and this is what I need to do. And if I need to get up earlier, move things around, I have to have it get, I have to get it in. Um, when that's not the case, it's like, this is your ideal. And if it doesn't happen, it's okay. Do something different the next day. So being more flexible, I think is key. Yeah. So many of my clients are surprised when I tell them I'd rather them have an extra hour in bed then wake up at 5am and go to the gym. They're like, what? You're a nutritionist. Aren't you going to be telling me to exercise more? And I'm like, no, it's not what your body needs. Because you know them. Some people, yes, because some people, if they're never working out, you would recommend that. But you know these people. I know my clients. I know these women. And they they need the opposite. They need to be allowed to rest. And that sleep is so restorative. A lot of people, when they go into recovery if they've been running almost daily and they suddenly stop they feel like they're way more tired and it's because their body is like oh my god we can repair (laughs) we've got all these repairs that we can do now so you just get so tired physically and you're like i'm not even doing anything why am i so tired and it's because you finally allowed your body to rest you finally gave it enough calories to make repairs that it's just going to town on repairing all of these muscles and repairing these systems. It's the most important thing that you can do. I mean, sleep before you get an exercise for, for sure. And that's what makes people think that exercise is a good thing for them. Like, Oh, see, I, I should be exercising every day because my energy is so much more work, yeah. so much worse when I'm not, but it's just that they've been on this adrenaline, constant adrenaline high, which right. isn't a good thing long-term. It's when it's chronic, right? I mean, it's fine if you like want, you're going to sleep crappy one night and you go to a class because you've been planning with your friend. That's going to happen. It's that it doesn't happen every day. Like that is the difference of that should be definitely the exception of I slept like crap or I went on a bit longer run than I planned instead of this is what I do every day, no matter what. It should be I accidentally got less sleep one night instead of I routinely sleep six hours or less. Why is it that the running and chronic cardio is uh, more detrimental to hormones and fertility than something like strength training? Yeah, it raises the cortisol. So they've shown that three, at least if you get three hours of intense training a week, this is in Nicola's book, um, it, it will negatively affect your cycle. And maybe, like I said, maybe that's not the absence of a period, but maybe it's anovulatory. Maybe it's a shorter luteal phase. There's going to be some effect. And so strength training is just lower intensity. You're in much more control instead of pounding your body. So once you get all of that cortisol, I'm actually just writing a post on this today. <laughs> once you get more of that cortisol in, in your body, it is what is, you know, it is signaling to the hypothalamus. It is what is suppressing those, those um, sex hormones, reproductive hormones, and the growth hormones. So you're not even going to see, if you are trying to gain muscle, but you're also running, you're not going to see that muscle gain because your cortisol is too high to stimulate the growth of muscles. Yeah, you're constantly in a breakdown or catabolic yes, state. Yes, exactly. So some people notice um, better body composition when they cut back on the exercise and we probably all heard of those we might have a friend who starts marathon training and actually puts on weight that's mm-hmm. classic like inflammation high stress hormones so sometimes doing the opposite 
Yeah, it's hanging on to everything it can because it's, you know, serious. it can't make those repairs. Um, a lot of women, you know, you're going to bloat when you eat more just suddenly when you've changed it. That tends to go away. But women get very afraid because they first see the weight gain in their midsection, in their hips, and is because your body is trying to protect your organs because it's like, I don't know how long this weight is going to be around. I don't know how long she's going to do this. Like, let's hold on to it. But like I said, the more you trust your body, the longer you give it, it's going to say, okay, we're, we're in a happy place now. We can kind of redistribute and, um, and get more comfortable. And what are some of the benefits someone can expect when they start to eat more and the cycle is back on track? Um, so like hypothalamic amenorrhea type symptoms versus optimally healthy energy, sex drive, all of those things. Like what did you <laughs> notice? That is my favorite thing that Nicola talks about because, you know, there's a lot of mindset. There's a lot of negative. It's hard. But when you look at all the positives, I always tell people and every single one of the women I work with that gets their period back agrees that like their period back was like a, a bonus. All the other things that they got is worth so much more. Um, it's really just the relaxed attitude around exercise and not feeling guilt around food. That's a huge one of being able to go out somewhere and order what they want instead of worrying about the calories. Indulging one day and instead of restricting the next, being able to just go on like normal. The thoughts around food and exercise, like you're still thinking about it, but it's not all you're thinking about. So you've got so much more time and energy to spend on other things in your life. I mean, that's an exercise I go through with my clients is Let's look at the things you're grateful for. Let's look at things outside of health and fitness that you have going on in your world that you have just totally flopped out <laughs> and ignored. Um, other things are being cold. I have um, Raynaud's where my fingers will just go numb. I the severity of it and it doesn't it doesn't happen nearly as much anymore, and it doesn't get it definitely doesn't get as bad as it did. It will happen occasionally instead of every time I went out in the cold. So that's just one, one little thing. Um, many women report better sleep, that they're sleeping better. Um, some women were maybe getting like night sweats because their thyroid is messed up. And so once that evens out, um, that kind of stops. Um, God, what else? Really just um, like higher sex drive. That's one thing because think about it, it's your sex hormones, it's your reproductive hormones that have been suppressed. Once those turn back on, you're, you're just feeling better. Your libido is higher. Um, you're more relaxed. I mean, I think that's a, a big thing is you're less anxious around food and exercise and all that planning. Because if you think about, it's not just the stress of the exercise and planning your meals. It is that mental stress of when am I going to get this workout in? The thoughts around it outside of just the physical part of running or getting that workout in the thoughts and stress around getting it in and planning it and keeping it up. And if I go on vacation, how can I continue with my workouts and do I need to work out more before and after to make up for it? Like all that is eliminated. What are some of the limiting beliefs or traumas or mindset patterns with some of your clients as to why they have this issue in the first place like the the need to constantly be lean and look good and um, exercise so much what are some common i know it's a little bit different for everyone but are there any commonalities that you hear um a lot of it i mean it's a sense of control so it's one thing that you can control so that's a big part of it i think a lot is this fear of the unknown the fear of if i 
were to loosen up on this, I'm going to gain an uncontrollable amount of weight. And it's that, that trust in your body. Maybe they've never trusted it before. They've always like had this range of, I want to be this weight. And is this thin ideal? I mean, a lot of it is diet culture that this society that we're born into and these messages we are bombarded with constantly, the way we talk to each other, the way women talk about their bodies is always that losing weight and being thin is what you should be striving for. And to break from that feels really uncomfortable. And it's like, I'm not doing the, maybe I'm not taking care of myself. I think people equate if they are not on this constant um, path to lose weight and to get leaner, then they're not taking care of themselves. When it's, it's not either or, right? <laughs> it is how can you work out in a way that is restorative and that feels good versus how can I pound my body to make sure I look a certain way? So I do feel like it's the thin ideal. It's um, the sense of control that they get. It is the identity. It is, you know, this is who I am. And instead of looking outside of that, it is I have to maintain this to maintain who I am and what people see me as. And how, last few questions now, how did you deal with the weight gain? Because that can be, again, the scariest part for people. And I, I found that like telling people to buy clothes that fit better because they keep onto the mm-hmm. size six jeans and try and fit into those when mm-hmm. that might not be um, realistic. So do you have any tips on mindset around mm-hmm. the weight gain in particular? Yeah. Well, first off, so much of it is in your head. (laughs) I recently posted a picture of my before more like my maybe lowest weight. And then just a couple of weeks ago, and I see a difference. Multiple people commented. I don't see a difference. (laughs) You look exactly the same. So much is in our head. And if you, I started thinking about the insecurities or stuff that I didn't love about my body is the same things that when I was at my lowest and getting no period, I still had the same things, hangups. So they're not going anywhere. It's actually higher body confidence now because I'm comfortable with myself and not trying to control and micromanage how my body looks and responds um, that I feel better, better in my own skin. So I think that that's a big one is getting comfortable close to fit, clothes that you feel good in, right? That's a big one. I mean, being, you know, this is a weird time with coronavirus, so we're not really going out anyway. This is a great time to do this because <laughs> you're not, you can just wear, you know, yoga pants and sweats all day. Um, and I think that just reminding yourself that it is, no one cares like you do. No one's noticing like you do. My own husband didn't really notice. And he's with me all the time. So I think that really changing, working on changing your mindset and how you feel about yourself, you know, work on your body confidence and your body image is the biggest thing. I would, I much rather women spend their time and energy working on their body image than trying to calculate and figure out exactly how much weight they need to gain because there's no, there's no benefit to that. <laughs> Even if you could somehow calculate, I need to gain this amount to get it back. What good does that do you? If you are not, you could get your period back. And if you've not done that other work, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be in the same mental spot. So really working on where is this coming from? Asking yourself those questions. Why do I care about this? Where, when did this start? And looking back at how did I feel when I was most comfortable with my body and when I didn't think about food and working out all the time, what was going on in my life then? Like what was great about that? What can I bring from that? back how can I get that feeling back 
what advice would you give to someone who doesn't necessarily want kids either now or ever and mm-hmm. she's like I don't really care about my period I'd rather look amazing have these six-pack abs and be really lean um why is that not a great thing yeah it's still I mean it's it's the fifth vital sign right it is if you're missing a period you are not healthy you're not in a healthy space and I get that the pull is much greater if you want to have kids that is the main reason women for one figure out that their period is missing because they go off the pill (laughs) and then realize it but there's the bone health issue there is which is crazily why doctors put you back on the pill if you're not getting a period let's get you back on the pill to protect your bones but it is doing so much more harm than good yeah still (laughs) in all the nutrients needed for healthy bone growth and i think going back to that mindset of think of even if you don't want kids do you are you really happy like you asked me earlier, are you really happy in this spot where you feel like you need to work out this much? Are you really happy, truly happy with how your workout routine is? Can you picture doing that and eating this way for the rest of your life? Um, because if it's still more of a stress and it's not comfortable, you're not fully enjoying your life. Kids are not. You need to be in that place where you've got that more food freedom, where you are not feeling guilty if you didn't get a workout in, where you're not stressed over hitting certain um, running times. You need to be in that spot where you where you trust your body. And it's just going to reward you in so many other ways. I mean, kids is like, like I said, that's a big motivator for women. But I think that once they are on that path and once they do this work and get a period, it's like, oh my God, how was I living that way before? Like that was so stressful. And all of that is gone now. And just even thinking, would you rather have this lean, um, ideal, quote, body type now, but be crippled with osteoporosis in the future? Um, Like maybe when you're 80 years old, you have to Mm -hmm. think about long-term sustainability and long-term health because, yeah, the period, the missing period is so so important to address as soon as possible even if your kids aren't on the radar if you like running do you want to be able to run a long time because if you keep Mm -hmm. doing it in a way that is not healthy and you're not getting a cycle you're not going to be able to because women get stress fractures all the time from this your body is going to break down so do you want to run really hard for 10 years or do you want to be able to in 30 years go out for a three mile run, you know, what's more important. Good point. And is there a resource or book on this subject that you'd like to recommend? So someone's listening and they're like, that's me. I need help in this area. Obviously I mentioned the no period now, what book by Nicola Rinaldi. Um, Is that your go-to? I call it the HA Bible. (laughs) I think that because it, it accounts for, it gives you so much more detail. Like I said, when my doctor mentioned, cutting back on running, I didn't have all this background information. So it didn't fully connect the dots. So this book really connects all the dots, but the bigger thing is it gives firsthand accounts. So you're, you're reading throughout the book, women's experience. So when you're saying the thought that you have of, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. Then you read a woman's quote of, I didn't think I could do this mm. and how they got through it. So that is an excellent book. If you are, um, main goal is to get pregnant. Um, take not really do with AJ, but taking, was it taking charge of your fertility Mm -hmm. is a great one. It does touch on exercise, um, but it gives a whole picture of diet in a way that is not obsessive of here's everything you need. It's like, 
here's foods that are good <laughs> for fertility instead of making it this like, oh my God, I have to eat this way. It's more of a general boost in health, which I really, really find helpful. Um, I have a Facebook group called Recover Your Period. Maybe we can link to it. Um, that's full of women on the same journey. So I, I love being in there because they are supporting each other. So it's like real-time support because you can read these books but what is really helpful is to be able to, to vent or to ask a question to someone who is going through the same thing as you and to really feel connected in it. Because if your friends aren't in that space, if they don't understand why you like running so much, if they don't understand why this is so hard, um, they might listen to you, but they don't know what to say. And it's gonna get really frustrating. Your spouse, it's a tricky spot because they instantly feel how sensitive this is they don't want to say the wrong things. Um, these groups help you find ways to talk about um, how to get support from people around you. you oh, know, definitely. What is that, that, that as well? Like? How can you support me in this? And maybe it's just like, can you just let me vent every now and then and not say anything, but just let me vent? <laughs> um, you know, just being able to ask for, for the support that you need. What's one thing that you do every day to stay in hormonal harmony? So it sounds like you've got to a good place in terms of your diet and your exercise is there something that's like a, a practice for you daily that really keeps you um keeps you motivated and keeps you feeling happy and healthy yeah i've been doing and i get up fairly early because i have a toddler so I, I i need that me time so making sure i have that time in the morning and so i go to bed early so i can get up early um, but I'll do about 15 minutes of yoga or some stretching first thing in the morning. First thing when I come downstairs, that is what I do. It really feels good. I mean, instead of pounding it out with the run, I feel like I get a lot of the same benefits. Um, and that's like every morning. And then before I go to bed, I say out loud a few gratitudes. And that has been, I would have rolled my eyes at that before, but it really does help put things into perspective and falling asleep with that positivity and recapping the good things that happened that day outside of your body, outside of health, outside of fitness. Um, just thinking of, you know, we moved here about a year and a half ago. I think of, you know, I'm so happy that we found the place that we did. I'm so happy where we are now. I'm so happy for the new friends I made. Um, thinking of the bigger things to look at the bigger picture of your life outside of, of what you look like. <laughs> Agreed. I do that every day too. And it's one of the quickest and most effective ways to, reduce stress hormones and get into that rest digest heal nervous system state yeah i mean it's a minute it's wonderful yeah (laughs) it takes no time and it and it really does um because it's doing it every day is doing every day to create those positive connections instead of the negative neural pathways of negative thinking that just get deeper and deeper if every day you're thinking of a few positive things like you said it's going to reduce the stress hormones without really doing anything and it will make you look out for new things in the day as well yeah so like oh this really good thing happened or when you're out at the supermarket the grocery store you're like oh i can i can think about that later it's one of my gratitude um points so it just starts to put you in more of an optimistic mindset which is so important it, I mean, that's, you're going to get more from that than running every day, like by and far. <laughs> you're going to get way more if you can routinely see the, you have to be positive all the time, but if you can routinely see positive things around you, um, you're going to bounce back much quicker if you have like a true setback or something truly, you know, it's not like 
bad things or upsetting things won't happen. But when they do, you're not going to dwell on it for days on end. You're going to be able to pull yourself out much, much quicker. Absolutely. And so after your nice relaxing morning routine, your yoga, your stretch, what is your go-to breakfast? So some people struggle with breakfast. Uh, um, some people like skip it completely because either they're not hungry or they do their fasted workouts, which will probably not be a great thing if you're trying to get your period back. So what's like a, a good balanced breakfast that fuels your exercise, being a mom um, and yeah. wanting to enhance your fertility at the same time? Yeah. Um, I used to do oatmeal all the time and I still love oatmeal and I would put um, sometimes I put like pumpkin in it or some peanut butter. Um, so I'll do that. Or lately I've been doing, especially cause it's hotter now. So the oatmeal doesn't always sound good. I'll do, um, just an avocado toast. I'll do whole grain toast, spread just plain avocado on it, a little salt, some hummus. I eat hummus every day, <laughs> some hummus. And then, a um, just one scrambled egg with some cheese in it. So it, I mean, it takes no time. It's like, it's toasting while I am making the egg, just layer it and you can eat it pretty much anywhere. <laughs> it's like, I can take it with me if I walk the dog. Um, so that's a really quick one that gets a ton of nutrients and keeps yep. you full. too. <laughs> quick, simple and delicious, which mm -hmm. is what I personally love as well. And so, quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Samantha, last question is where can people find more from you online? So you mentioned your Facebook group. Yeah. I will link that in the show notes. What about website, Instagram, um, and yeah. what kind of services do you offer? Yeah. So my website is simplywellcoaching.com. And then on Instagram, I am simplywellcoaching, just at simplywellcoaching, where I'm posting all, everything that we talked about is what I post on. <laughs> um, ways to work with me. And I'm always kind of changing it to make sure I'm addressing people where they are. Um, the most direct is one-on-one -on -one coaching and that takes the form of maybe HA recovery or just trying to balance your hormones with exercise, trying to develop that healthy relationship with exercise. I think that is a huge struggle for a lot of people. Um, they start that journey and then they get stuck. <laughs> so walking them through that, walking them through the mindset shifts. Um, I also do what I call a cycle up breakthrough. So that is just one 90 minute session. So we will go over all histories and you'll leave with a game plan. Um, and then from there you get a full week um, to kind of email and, and chat back and forth on, Hey, I got stuck here, or I didn't think of this question. This came up after our talk two days later. So we can go through that, but it's really to kind of set you on the right path. And that is either trying to get your period back or maybe you recently got it back and you're like, hey, not everything is fixed. <laughs> this didn't fix everything. Where do I go from here? I was very focused on getting my cycle back and didn't think past that point. So that cycle up breakthrough is a very direct way to um, kind of get a taste of one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, but still have kind of a plan without the 12-week commitment. Great, yeah, and I'm sure people are gonna want to get in touch. So I want to thank you so much for your time and sharing your story with us. and. I can guarantee there's going to be a lot of women listening, nodding their heads, wanting to, to find out more on this subject because as, as we said, we don't get taught any of this and right. from what we're told in the magazines and the media, more exercise is better and we just need to eat less, move more in order to be healthy. But that's absolutely not the case because you and me can both, um, both we share our experience and it doesn't end well the majority of the time. 
No, no, you, there's no end to that spiral. <laughs> but the good thing is that you can come out the other side and there is hope. Again, yeah. we've both experienced that as well. Without medical intervention, I mean, that's the great thing yeah. is that you can have these, you can have these mindset shifts and um, you're going to be so much of a, of a fuller life because of it. Agreed. Well, thank you so much, Samantha. This has been really great. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone-friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rating and review and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain and refined sugar-free recipes and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health as I share a ton of free content every day and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk for my blog and many free guides which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrollment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.